So there are people in life that we're so familiar with that it's really easy to introduce them to others. I've known my wife, Amy, for over 31 years. And I know virtually everything about her. Not everything, but virtually everything about her. I could talk about her physical traits. I could talk about her emotional makeup, her intellectual capacity, and her spiritual thoughts. Uh, Because I know her, and it'd be easy for me to talk about her. Similarly, I could introduce to you uh, my children. I have five of them. I can keep them in order. I do know their names and birth dates. Um, I could tell you all about them uh, because I know them. I could describe them to you. Then there are popular figures from history uh, that I could tell you about. And um, as I'm telling you about them, because there's verifiable data, you would say, all right, I, I see that. I, I understand that that took place. I can look that up in, on Google. I can look that up on Bing or whatever search engine you choose to, to use. For instance, if I started to talk to you about Michael Jordan, I could tell you that, you know, that, that he won six NBA championships with the Chicago Bulls, that uh, every time he went to the NBA championship, his team won. He was 6-0 and in those uh, circumstances. And I can probably, maybe for those of you that were following at that time, I could, I could remind you of when poor Craig Elo was trying in vain to stop Michael Jordan from scoring, and Michael Jordan rose up over him, shot to, to win, to get to the NBA championship. I could describe that, and you could probably look it up on, on YouTube and see that shot. Um, so that, that'd be easy. Then I could describe for you someone like Mario Lemieux from the NHL who scored tons and tons of goals, or Wayne Gretzky who had more points, I think, than any other uh, hockey player in NHL history. And of course, I could introduce you to the greatest football player of all, Mark Sanchez. Oh, no, that's not him? He has a, a famous moment when he ran into his offensive lineman and the, fl- the ball fell out. Well, that's another matter. I could tell you about Tom Brady and how he has won, I'll call it six championships, even though there's more, but we don't talk about the ones after, uh, after the ones that matter. Then there are musical figures that everyone's heard of, like Billy Joel. No, you did not start the fire. Or Elvis Presley. Ain't nothing but a hound dog. And I, if I, you know, I could probably do a pretty mean moonwalk up here and you could see a little bit of what Michael Jackson was like. Um, do you believe that those people existed? Yes, you can actually just turn on a radio and if you listen long enough, you'll hear one of their songs. And then you can look up things like Michelangelo's great works or Picasso's artistic works, all these things. And you would have no problem believing me because you can hear or see or verify their great works. That's just the way it is. But when we think of our Savior... Jesus Christ, sometimes we can convey that He is just kind of somewhere out there. Kind of like this ethereal existence. He's, He's there, but I can't really bring Him to you. I can't YouTube His most famous sermon, not live, 
Um, I, I can't um, do a, a, a data check on, um, you know, what happened on this day in his life. I, I can't do it that way. Sometimes he's treated as if he's like just some mythological figure. However, every day, you and I are living in the presence of his workmanship on so many fronts. We see his handiwork. He claims to be the creator, and you see the created thing. He is a savior, and you can meet people whom he has redeemed. We have evidence of his glorious work. Now, the Gospel of John is written to convince you of Jesus' existence, of his presence, and of the salvation that he offers to you. Listen to these words. We're in John chapter 20. Look at verses 30 and 31. John chapter 20. Look at verses 30 and 31. John writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these signs, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in or through His name. So God uses the Gospel of John, this glorious book, to proclaim who Jesus really is. That we might know that He is the promised Messiah. That the Old Testament was constantly alluding to. And the people were waiting for this person, this Mashiach, this one who would be anointed as prophet, priest, and king. He is the the coming of that promised one. That we would know that this Jesus that came into the world is God in the flesh. That He is truly the Son of God that God has captured in Him all that is true, all that is right. Because He is truth. Because He is the second person of the eternal triune God. The the Gospel of John is written so that you and I would believe that Jesus, this Messiah, this God in the flesh, came to give life. Eternal life. Life that can't be taken away. Life that can't be snuffed out. Real life to all those who trust in Jesus. Head over now to the Gospel of John chapter 1. The first chapter of this great book. This Gospel testifying of the promised one. The second person of God's triune nature, God's triune Godhead. He's the second person of the Trinity. And that He has come to give life. As John introduces us to Jesus, he's about to pile up in these first verses some mind-bending truths about who He is. John chapter 1, look at verses 1-3. through Will you read this with me? John chapter 1, Beginning in verse 1, we'll read down to verse 3. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The first concept that we are introduced to, the first mind-bending truth that we are introduced to about this Jesus is that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. And he implies that by saying in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. And then in verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. Now, in verse, verses 1-3, through three, Jesus is referred to as the Word. Pastor Jeff, next week, will put some meat on these bones. Um, but for now, just a little taste about the concept of this Word. Jesus as the Word. Uh, you could describe the term Word as truth in action or truth in person. So you can think of the word truth or the word Scripture. There's lots of different words that are used to describe God's declaration. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 16, it says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word in the Greek is graphe, all written words. There's also another Greek word called rahma. It's spoken word. Spoken word. God speaks the word. He declares the truth. We hear the truth. We believe the truth. God changes. Rama, spoken truth. Written truth, spoken truth. And then there's truth in person or truth in action or truth in fleshed. That's who Jesus is. He demonstrates for you and for me all that truth is. He demonstrates, lives, declares truth. So Jesus is this eternal word and it says in the beginning he speaks of this beginning the greek word for beginning is arche arche you can hear ark arch it's the beginning now john elsewhere in revelation will call jesus the beginning as well but he'll put it together in this phraseology that maybe you've heard of i am the alpha and the omega the first and the last the beginning and the what end the concept that God is conveying about who Jesus is in those statements is that Jesus is eternal. He's eternal. He's before all things. And He's after all things. This is good news. Want to know why? Because if He weren't before all things and after all things, how could He attend to my soul when I come to an end of my physical life. The fact that He is an enduring being, He's before and after all things, an eternal God it requires to save an eternal soul. And so Jesus being eternal is very important. In the Gospel of John chapter 8, John is ta- uh, Jesus is talking to some opponents who are criticizing Him. And He says, before Abraham was... He doesn't say, I was. He says, I am. Before Abraham was, I am existing. I am continuing. I am because I am the truth that lives forever. I am the second person. I am a, I am a part. I'm a, a one person of this three-personed Godhead. 
that is eternal in every way. Jesus, preexistent forever. So this is important to our eternal hope because only an eternal God can save our eternal souls. I think it's important to understand this. Just a little snippet for you to think about. There was never a time when the second person of the triune Godhead did not exist. He was and is and is to come. This is good news. But can you quite comprehend it? I'm 46. I don't know how old you are. Maybe you're younger than I am, some of you. Maybe you're older than I am, some of you. You can comprehend the span of your life and maybe you can kind of push back the borders some as you think about history. But trying to comprehend the eternal as a finite person is very complicated. But the reality is this Jesus that is being presented to us in the Gospel of John who came to fulfill the promises, who came as the Son of God, who came to give life to all who would believe upon Him, He is eternal in His nature. That's the first concept that we recognize. Secondly, Jesus dwells in union with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. He dwells in union. Take a look again at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Look at verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. So this Savior that we read about in the Gospel of John, this promised Messiah that has come to fulfill the promises, He was dwelling in perfect fellowship or perfect union with His Father and with the Spirit forever going in that direction beforehand. This lets you and me know that our existence as human beings collectively and individually is not because God was lonely or bored. Why am I here? Well, God was bored one day, so He made a pact with Satan. You heard that kind of thing? It's just, no. God's not bored, and God's not lonely. He dwells in perfect, eternal union, fellowship with Himself. Father, Son, and Spirit. Three gods, one essence, dwelling in harmony, fellowship. They're not bored, They're not lonely and they have no needs. God introduces us to Jesus as one who was dwelling in perfect harmony with Himself. Take a look please at John chapter 8. I'm going to come right back to John 1. Just John 8 for just a moment. This perfect harmony between Father, Son, and Spirit that existed before the worlds began exists after the world comes to an end Even during Jesus' earthly ministry, having taken on flesh, He was living in perfect harmony with His Father. John chapter 8, take a look at verse 29. John 8, 29. It says, And He who sent Me 
He sent me. He sent me away from me. He sent me away from himself. He who sent me is, what's the next two words? With me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. So even in the Father sending the Son to be the Savior of the world, we see that in 1 John 4, the Father sending the Son to be the Savior of the world, God didn't leave Him alone. He didn't say, alright, you go do this thing now, Son. I'm going to stay over here. There's this union, this fellowship that took place even in the sending of the Son. And so Jesus was not alone in this. The Son has always done that which is pleasing to the Father. There is one interruption in their fellowship. And I want to take a moment to think about that because we're being introduced to Jesus in the Gospel of John so that we would believe. We would believe Him. We would believe Him and understand Him and know Him that we might have life in Him. And Jesus, who from the beginning dwelt in perfect harmony with the Father, always doing the things that pleased Him, did have a moment in time in which He was not in perfect harmony with the Father. And that was when God attributed or charged to Jesus my sin. Your sin. And how do you know He wasn't in perfect harmony? Jesus cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This took place because God took my sin and charged Jesus guilty for my sin. Jesus willingly laid down His life to accomplish this. It's not like He was some innocent bystander and God says, this is what's happening to you whether you like it or not, son. No, they dwell in perfect harmony. And He always does the things that are pleasing to the Father. And the Bible says in Isaiah that it pleased the Father to bruise Him. Why? Because it was going to provide eternal rescue for me from my sin. What a glorious God this is. So there's this interruption in this eternal fellowship between the Father, Son, and Spirit because Jesus was attributed with my sin. And just as our sin, listen carefully to this, this is such good news, just as our sin was attributed to Jesus, His righteous obedience, or His always pleasing the Father, has been attributed to us. This is what justification is. It's God declaring us righteous. Which means all of the acts of obedience, all of the always doing the things that please the Father that Jesus actually did have been placed on my account so that I, in dwelling in perfect union with Jesus by faith in Him, now dwell in perfect union with my Father, and I am attributed as always doing which please, that which pleases Him. Now, do you always feel that way? Do you always feel like you always do that which pleases the Father? When you yell at your children? Do you feel that way when you're annoyed with a co-worker who's not pulling their fair share of the weight 
in the workplace. You feel that way when someone cuts you off in traffic and you are tempted to say a couple of words that maybe you wouldn't be proud of if you had to declare them publicly. Do you feel like you always do that which pleases the Father when you overindulge in anything that you know, man, that just isn't, that's just not right? Do you feel like you always do that which pleases the Father? No. No, you don't. And no, I don't. But the reality is, just as Jesus was declared guilty and judged for my sin that He did not do, I am declared righteous and commended for the works of Christ which I did not do. This is the Gospel. God turning my sin into Jesus' righteousness because of His good, kind grace toward me. So we need to remember if we've trusted Christ as our Savior, if we've come to know this Jesus that the Gospel of John is declaring to us, if we've come to know Him, we have to remember that our record stands righteous. And our standing before the Father is eternally perfect and pure. So I'm always welcome to come. And I find Him to be a welcoming Father. A loving, merciful, kind Father. Every time. So Jesus' union and communion with His Father and the Holy Spirit is based upon... um, Excuse me. Our union and communion is based upon Jesus' union and communion with God. So He's with us. We're with Him. He's for us. We are for Him. We're for Him because He is for us. This is good news that the Gospel of John points to us. Head back to John chapter 1, please. We're considering realities that we would not know if God did not reveal them, right? Would you know that Jesus is eternal if God didn't declare it? You wouldn't know, but God declares it. We wouldn't know that Jesus is in perfect union with the Father forever if God didn't declare it, but He does. And we wouldn't know that we could be joined into that same eternal union if God didn't declare it, but He does. And so God is revealing one thing after another for our benefit, for our good. Not only is Jesus eternal, and Jesus is in union with the Father and the Spirit, Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully God. Look again at verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was God. In the Greek, this clause, the word theos, is at the beginning of that clause. In other words, it would, it would be in this position of emphasis. The emphasis is God... The Word was. It's kind of like Yoda would say it. God, the Word was. He is emphasizing the, the, the deity of this Word who we come to realize later in the text is Jesus Christ come in the flesh. He's God. The full expression of truth is who Jesus is and was. 
this full expression of the truth wasn't just a representative of God. And He wasn't just sent by God. He was in every way God. This is of utmost importance, friends. There are many world religions that would view Jesus as good and even even wonderful, a good teacher, and even uh, as someone who could lead to your salvation. But to know Jesus for who He is in truth is that He is fully God. Later on in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, Jesus is going to be talking to some Jews and He's going to say to them, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. He's talking about the fact that as the Father is divine and and God, I also am divine and God. And, And the reason you can know that is in the very next verse, verse 31, it says, the Jews picked up stones to stone Him. When He said, I and the Father are one, He was saying, like God is God, I am God. Like the Father is God, I am God. And so he declares this to be true. In Colossians 1, the Bible says that Jesus is the image of God. The word is icon. Icon. If you want to see what God is like, look at this picture. Him. Not not this one. Him. Jesus. Later on in John chapter 1, he says that Jesus is the uh, the exegesis of the Father or the, the, the demonstration of the Father. He fully declares who the Father is. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1 and verse 3, listen to these words. Speaking of Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. The, the wonder of who God is in His glory is seen in Jesus. This is why when Jesus was asked, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. Jesus says, you've seen me. You've seen all you need. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father also because I am the declaration of who the Father is. So let's think of some implications of the fact that Jesus is fully God because this is intense. Again, these are mind-bending realities. We would not know if God didn't declare them He declares them so we would know that Jesus is the promised one, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that we would have life through His name. So He's declaring these things so we would know Him better. So the fact that Jesus is fully God has tremendous implications. There is nowhere that you can go that He is not present. There is nothing you will face that He is not or is unhelpful. And this one one might blow our minds the most. There is nothing you could ever do that He is unaware. I'll let that one sit for a minute. You're thinking of last night when you said that to your wife, aren't you? But you know, with all of this divine ability... His most endearing, life-giving quality is that He came to save you. With everything He knows about you, every thought, 
every word, every intention of the heart. God declares to you, I love you. God's love is demonstrated in this way. How is it? God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is fully God. Before you existed, He knew every single thought you would have through all the days of your life. He would know every intention, every motivation of your heart that you would have before you did or didn't do something. And in the face of all that knowledge, Jesus came and willingly laid down His life to take your sin on Himself. To be charged guilty for your sin and mine. My sin. He took all of that and said, I will bear the the weight of that. I will be charged guilty for that. And God did in fact charge Him guilty. He was condemned in my place. And I am exalted because of Him. I've been declared righteous, perfect, holy, loved because of Him. Jesus is fully God. This is, this is wonderful. Now, so we move to the last section of what we're going to look at this morning. Just a few more minutes. And we see in verse 3 that Jesus is the Creator. Jesus is the Creator. Will you read verse 3 with me again, please? All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So he makes this statement both both positively and negatively. So he made all things. That's the positive statement. And the negative statement is not a negative statement, but it's just saying it from another angle. There was nothing that was made that he didn't make. He is the creator of all things everywhere. He created all things. Colossians 1 uh, talks about it. Hebrews 1 talks about it. They affirm that same truth. In fact, Colossians 1 talks about the fact that Jesus created all things that are visible, things that we see, and things that are invisible, things that we don't see. He's created everything. When Jesus exhibits His authority in the Gospels that you can, can read about over wind and waves, over disease and demons, over sorrow and sin, when you see Him exercising His authority over all of these things in the Gospel, it shouldn't surprise us. Because He's the Creator of everything. He has authority to heal diseases. He has authority to cast out demons. He has authority to cause the wind to cease and the waves to be still. He has the authority to remove sorrow from the heart and to take sin away forever. Remember? He says, go away. Your sins have been forgiven. Who is He that He could have authority to forgive sins? Only God has authority to forgive sin. 
He has authority. He is the creator of everything. And He's God Himself. As we think about Jesus and His authoritative power in creation, you can see the handiwork of what He has made. Remember we talked about introducing people? Well, I can tell you about my wife. And, and you'd believe me because you see that I hang out with her. And you see that we went away together. I could tell you about my children. You'd believe me the things that I tell you about my children because you know they live in my house. You'd, have, you'd believe it. Uh, if I tell you about Tom Brady, you can verify it on the internet. But when I tell you about Jesus, you can also verify it. Look at this fish that He made. Look at this bird that He spoke into existence. He made the mountains by the word of His mouth. He spoke it into existence. Look at this road that you just drive by. You can see the, the, the glorious trees and in the background the mountains that Jesus has made. He, he brought this into being. Take a look at this nebula. Nebula. This is great. Everyone loves a good nebula story. It's exploding stars. It's gas. It's the best looking gas you've ever seen. <laughs> and he made the galaxies and the constellations. Look at this. When Jesus brags about this, I want to tell you, he takes books and books to write about it. No. He made the stars also. That's that's Jesus bragging. He made the stars also. When you look through a Nubble telescope, which you don't get a chance to do, nor do I, but you can see the images of a Nubble telescope and you see these things, like if you made that, you'd want everyone to know, hey, I did that. God declares in His Word, says, and He made the stars also. This Jesus that fulfills all the promises of the Old Testament. This Jesus who dwells in perfect union with the Father from eternity past to eternity future. This Jesus who is fully God made all these things. And people say, show me. Show me that He's real. Show me that He exists. And I tell you, just look around. He has declared Himself by the things He has made. So we are without excuse. And yet God knows us and He remembers our frame that we're dust and He patiently waits. And He shows Himself. He shows Himself by the glorious creation He has made. He shows Himself in the Word He has preserved for us. And He shows Himself through the people that He has made alive. You know, as beautiful as all these aspects of Jesus' creative power, there is a more significant, more beautiful, more extraordinary creation He is accomplishing. Because He gives life to those who are dead. Now I'm not talking about going to a grave at a cemetery and start digging that thing up and say, alright, I'm waiting, Lord. 
bring them up. I'm not talking about that kind of death. I'm talking about the fact that you and I are born spiritually dead. Completely ignorant and desirous of everything other than the God who offers Himself to us. And you know, when you start to, for the first time, see how great He is, how true He is, how kind He is, how merciful He is, this comes as a result of God's amazing grace giving us life giving us truth, revealing Himself to us. He gives life to those who are dead. This is part of God's new creation. Every day, somewhere around the globe, God is, through the powerful work of Jesus, adding to His new creation as He gives people life. And that new creation will be one day fully on display when all of those who have come to know God through Christ are gathered in one place in perfection and peace and joy forever. This is a giving of life. This new creation that is more impressive than the creation of the heavens and earth. It's all based upon Jesus' most significant work. That work is Jesus living for us and then dying for us, and then being buried for us, being raised for us, and continuing to pray for us in order to provide us with eternal salvation. So this is what God wants to convince us of as we read and study and proclaim the Gospel of John. That you and I may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So it may be easy to remind people that Tom Brady once threw a perfect pass to Rob Gronkowski to set up the winning touchdown against the St. Uh, Louis, <laughs> the Los Angeles Rams in the last Super Bowl that Tom Brady played in that mattered. <laughs> because you can show them the highlight. However, you can also point people to the things that Jesus has made that are far more beautiful and far more significant than the passing of a football. You can point them to creation. And then you can point them to a new creation where Jesus can give them eternal life that can never be taken away. Life. Real life. How? Through His name. Through Him. He is eternal. He is in perfect union with the Father. He is fully God, and He's the Creator of all things, including the Creator of new life in us. I submit to you, as we pray in these last moments, talk to Him. Say, Lord, help me to see. Help me to see how significant You really are in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank You.
Thank you for all you are and all that you reveal. Thank you for sending your Son and our Savior into the world to bear our sin, to provide us with a perfect, righteous record and eternal life. Help us to rejoice in that provision. I pray for anyone among us that's never trusted Jesus as their Savior, that even today, you would open their eyes to believe and to receive from you life eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.